Welcome to the Friedland Law Podcast with Adam and Phil Friedland. Friedland Law is a boutique tax and estate planning firm that can help your organization deal with complex tax issues. This podcast explores the world of Canadian tax and gets in-depth on relevant cases and tax law. We hope you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the Friedland Law Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Friedland, along with my co-host and father, Phil Friedland. In today's episode, we will be discussing the recent decision of the Federal Court of Appeal in Canada and Colito. The decision of the Federal Court of Appeal overturned the decision of the tax court and the victory of the taxpayer. The central question of this case is when an assessment under paragraph 227.1 sub 1 of the Income Tax Act, which relates to director's liability, crystallizes such that it can give rise to a derivative assessment under section 160. So I'm going to begin with a brief review of the facts, and then after that, we'll dive into some analysis. So the facts of the case are relatively straightforward, even if the statutory provisions themselves are somewhat complicated. The main actor in this case is Dominic Colito, who is the respondent's wife in this case. The facts of the case are relatively simple, even if the statutory provisions at work are somewhat complex. Dominic Colito, the respondent's spouse, was a director and shareholder of Core Precision Technologies Limited. Precision failed to remit source deductions to the Minister of National Revenue, who I'll call the Minister, between February and August of 2008. The due diligence defense was not met. On May 8, 2008, the year in which Precision was in default of its remittance obligations, Mr. Colito made two transfers of real property to his wife, Carolyn Colito, for nominal consideration, $2 in each case. On October 10, 2008, the minister issued a notice of assessment to precision for unremitted source deductions, interest, and penalties totaling approximately $630,000, in respect of which no notice of objection was filed. On August 6, 2009, precision's tax debt was registered in federal court under Section 223 of the Income Tax Act. On November 23, 2010, the sheriff was directed to enforce the writ. Then, on January 4, 2011, Precision's tax debt was executed and returned unsatisfied. This was followed on March 28, 2011, with the minister assessing Mr. Colito in the amount of $733,000 in respect of director's liability. Finally, on January 13, 2016, the minister assessed the respondent, being Mr. Colito's spouse, under Section 160 for approximately $228,000 in respect of the transfers made by Mr. Colito to his spouse. That was the maximum assessment possible under Section 160, being the excess of the fair market value over the consideration which Mr. Colito received. And that's a long time between the start of these facts and the end of these facts. And I don't know, Phil, do you want to chime in on that point? It, it seems to me that, that the taxpayers are placed at a significant disadvantage by this kind of delay. So it's about eight years from the time of the failure to the time that the minister assesses Mrs. Colito under Section 160, and it takes an additional almost four years to resolve it in the courts. This seems to be an inordinate amount of time, one of that increases the, the liability of the taxpayers because of interest and so on. In addition, there is no time limit on the ability of the minister to assess a taxpayer on, under Section 160, which leaves you exposed indefinitely which seems somewhat unfair. And I would agree because at tax court, the taxpayer's appeal was allowed and the tax court had held that 
the director's liability provision didn't crystallize until the writ went unsatisfied. So the taxpayer has an initial victory tax court. Unfortunately, that victory is overturned at the Federal Court of Appeal for reasons which I'll get into shortly. But in essence, at the tax court, they said that those preconditions of application for the director's liability, namely that the writ had to be returned unsatisfied, were preconditions of application which had to occur before Section 160 could kick in and apply to transfers on the director's liability. So that is to say that the tax court, the decision is that until that director's liability crystallizes because the conditions of application in Section 227.1 arise, including the failure to register the writ in with the federal court and it, to come back unsatisfied, that liability doesn't crystallize. And until that liability crystallizes, the transfers can't attract 160. Now that is overturned at the federal court of appeal for reasons which I think are interesting, but ultimately wrong. So the federal court of appeal disagreed with the tax court's interpretation and conducted its own textual and contextual and purposive interpretation, which differed in result with that reached at the tax court. The federal court of appeal concluded that the text itself of the director's liability provision was actually ambiguous with respect to when the liability arose. And in the view of the Federal Court of Appeal, the tax court erred by concluding that liability under Section 227.1 did not arise unless and until the preconditions of subsection 227.1 sub 2 had been satisfied. The Federal Court of Appeal essentially said, tax court, hey, you read in improperly the words unless and until. It only says unless. And so that was critical to the Federal Court of Appeal's decision. The Federal Court of Appeal basically said that the word until was not present in the statute and the tax court had erred by inserting it. So now finding that the text itself was ambiguous with respect to what the meaning of the provision was, the Federal Court of Appeal turned to a purposive analysis. And of course, a purposive analysis looks at what's the purpose of the provision. And looking at the provision as a whole, the Federal Court of Appeal concluded that the director's liability provision which includes all of these conditions of application before it can apply, the purpose of that provision is the avoidance of double taxation. And in the view of the Federal Court of Appeal, the tax court's interpretation of Section 227.1 would render the section nugatory and pointless by allowing a director to dissipate his or her assets before Section 160 could come into play. In the view of the Federal Court of Appeal, the tax court's interpretation of Section 227.1 would render the director's liability provision nugatory and pointless by allowing a director to intentionally rearrange his or her affairs prior to the relevant conditions being satisfied so that they can essentially avoid the application of Section 160. The circumstances which I think they're envisioning is, okay, hey, I'm the director of a corporation. It has some director's liability. Before that liability can be transferred to me personally, I go about and I make a bunch of non-arms-like transfers to my spouse and say, hey, the transfer is occurring before that liability crystallizes, so I'm okay. And the Federal Court of Appeal is saying, no, 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 that's a result that's inconsistent with the purpose of this provision. Therefore, the Federal Court of Appeal held that Mr. Colito's liability under Section 227.1 arose in or in respect of his 2008 taxation year and allowed the appeal. That is, ultimately, the Federal Court of Appeal ruled that the liability that Section 160 could attach to arose in the year in which the corporate default arose. So that was the end of the Federal Court of Appeals decision, and unfortunately, leave to the Supreme Court was denied. And so now we're going to get into a bit of analysis. And so I have a couple points I'd like to make before I hand it over to my dad. 
And so it appears, in my opinion, that the decision of the Federal Court of Appeal was based on an erroneous assessment of the textual meaning of the provision. And secondly, it also appears to me that the court's conclusion regarding the purpose of the provision were at least arguably incorrect. And so I'm going to turn it over to my dad, and I have two questions to ask him. First, do you think the Federal Court of Appeal's interpretation that the tax court incorrectly read in the words until is correct? And do you think this led to an incorrect textual interpretation on the part of the Federal Court of Appeal? Secondly, do you think the Federal Court of Appeal reached a correct purposive interpretation of the provision? It wasn't necessary for the tax court to insert the word until, after, unless, in order to regard subsection 227.1 sub 2 as creating a precondition for the application of subsection 227.1 sub 1. The word unless is defined to mean except on the condition that in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. So if something cannot occur on condition that, then arguably it cannot occur until that condition is satisfied. I think that this, the Federal Court of Appeal used that the insertion of that word, which did not affect the actual meaning of the provision, as a way to basically overturn the tax court's decision by saying the tax court's interpretation was wrong because it inserted that word. In my view, the insertion of that word, while it shouldn't have been done because it wasn't in the statute, did not affect the meaning of that provision. The Federal Court of Appeal identified avoidance of double taxation as the purpose to which subsection 2 of section 227.1 was directed. And the language used in that subsection achieves this purported purpose by setting out the steps which need to be satisfied. And then Parliament chose to set out those specific steps which need to be taken in order for the liability to be arrived. In my view, the conclusion that the purpose was double taxation doesn't seem to be appropriate. The purpose of those conditions in subsection 2 was set out for a basis for when the minister could assess the director for liability. The Federal Court of Appeal concluded that the effect of applying this section as written when considering its interaction with 160 would be to undermine its purpose by allowing a director to intentionally dissipate his or her assets prior to those steps set out in subsection 2 of, of section 227.1. Now, with all due respect, those two provisions are separate provisions with separate purposes. Section 160 is designed to allow the minister to assess a taxpayer who is non-arm's length with a transferor for the transfer's liability in certain circumstances. Subsection 227.1 is designed to impose a liability on a director in certain circumstances. They're separate purposes, right? In choosing the language of 160, Parliament chose to use the language in or in respect of a taxation year because presumably Parliament was of the view that a taxpayer's transfers made during certain times when the taxpayer is not a tax debtor, should not attract Section 160 liability, right? So it seems to me that the two provisions are, are not, were not, strictly speaking, designed to operate together. They're separate provisions with separate liabilities, right? It's far from clear that the double taxation that the Federal Court of Appeal identified 
is the policy of the legislation in subsection 227.1 sub 2. Further, it's important to note that both section 227.1 and section 160 are draconian provisions imposing one taxpayer's liability on another. In my view, in this case, the words used in subsection 227.1 sub 2 were clear and have precise meaning and result. This, in my view, was a case where the proper result would have been for the Federal Court of Appeal to simply apply the text as written and not to build, to, to use purpose and context as a way to impose liability on the spouse of Mr. Colito. And, and I would agree with those comments, and I would reiterate that we're seeing in these cases many instances in which the court is straying from the text and, in my view, is coming to somewhat outcome-driven interpretations of these statutes because they don't like the result. But, you know, it's, a, it's something that tax lawyers like to say, and some people may not agree, but at the end of the day, taxpayers have to abide by the rules as written. And so when they're conducting their affairs, they have a statute, and they have to look at it and see what are the consequences. When you do these post-talk rationalizations of what the rule should be rather than what it could reasonably conceive to be at the outset, you're basically putting the taxpayer in an unfair position because they don't know what the law is. And so do we want to be operating in a system in which the law is not easily known in advance, or do we want to trend towards interpretations that make the law predictable? And that's always a tension inherent, I think, in tax law, which is a tension between perceived fairness of outcome and predictability of the system. But in my view, the system in recent decisions, especially relating to 160, is trending in a direction that's headed more towards the so-called justice of it rather than the predictability. And I'm not even sure it achieves the justice point because is it really fair on the taxpayer to have to live with rules that aren't knowable in advance, even if the outcome might be perceived as not quote-unquote fair? And I don't know if you have any final comments. Well, I, again, I would agree that we're seeing uh, the use of this purpose textual, contextual approach as a way of imposing what I think the courts think is, is the result, rather than interpreting the statute or the relevant provisions based on the words that are there. Right? And this, this has been a trend that's been probably been going on since uh, the 80s, for better or for worse. And I guess that's the world of tax in this current era, and I don't foresee that changing in a direction that we as tax lawyers would like to see, but that's the world in which we're operating. So as a taxpayer, it's something you have to be cognizant of. And so that will conclude today's broadcast. And I'd like to thank my co-host and father, Phil, for joining me. And we hope that you will join us again on the Freedom Law Podcast.